Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. The topic of discussion for today is when Goldilocks markets meet a Russian bear. On the agenda, we'll first look at the unfolding situation in Russia and Ukraine. Next, we'll discuss the risks of a financial crisis, the risk of a recession, supply chain risks, and the retaliation risk. Next, we'll discuss the Fed's role in this war. We'll also explore potential China-Taiwan um, implications and the, the stability of the Russian regime. And of course, as always, we'll cover the investment implications at the end. My name's Sam Kerr, and I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. Today, we just have Damien Klassen on the show. He's the Head of Investments, and he'll give us his expert insights on the unfolding situation. Damien, welcome. Thanks for joining us as always. Thanks, Sam. J just me. Is that that's the that's the? Uh... Oh, uh, I, I, we, I should have said we've only got one guest today. Yeah, uh, that's right. The, the star need... of the show. That's right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> so, just a quick reminder before we get started: if you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded. Alternatively, follow us on your preferred podcast platform. Our show is available on all the majors. And for those of you listening live, feel free to drop your questions in the YouTube live stream chat, and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. So now we've got that uh, little bit of housekeeping out of the way, we'll get into it. So Damien, I'll hand it over to you to get us started. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, look, I mean, in the end, um, you yeah, know, there's lots of other places you can go to for, for geopolitical um, views and, and, and I guess more detailed view about the war. I guess what we're really... Uh, what it's cover off on today was uh, the investment implications for it, and what are what are the things that are going to flow from this um, down the track, not just in the next few days, but in the next few months and 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 even years, in terms of how does this, uh, how does what's happened sort of shape the the uh, the narrative for markets, and how does it shape uh, the effects on, on economies? So. I thought I'd start with a quick sort of background in terms of um, just looking at, at where we are today. Uh, you know, so so I've got a map up here, uh, basically showing where the uh, you know where Russia's made some inroads. I think the the key thing is uh, they do seem to be bogged down relative to to what some of the expectations and and, and certainly I think uh, Russian expectations of, of of what would happen. So uh, they took the Crimea um, uh, sort of five or six years ago. Uh, they they took some of uh, some of uh, Georgia as well, and um, uh, in both cases, it was pretty much they walked in and and, and secured what they what they needed. It was it was it was relatively quick, and and the, and the population sort of folded or, or or came straight back across, you know, really quickly. And, I, and and so I think there was at least some hope um, within Russia that that was what was going to be the case. And and so the resistance has been far stronger than um, than than they would have wanted. Uh, it, it is worth noting as well that you know Russia is is not that large of an economy. It's about the eleventh largest in in the world. Um, but its military is is you know one of the one of the top militaries in the world, and so there was a there's a bit of a disconnect, or, or certainly its its military was perceived to be one of the, the top militaries in the world. So there's a little bit of a disconnect between um, you know the size and 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 um, uh, military strength of, of Russia versus the size of its economy, and uh, potentially what this is showing is that there there might not be as as much of a disconnect as people thought. Maybe the military. In, in Russia isn't actually as strong as as um, as they thought, or um, and and so uh, you know and, and that that whole part of the uh, you know, Russia effectively went broke, or the sorry the 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 USSR effectively went broke on, on military spending, trying to keep up with the US. 
and um and and maybe that's you know that's faded a lot over the years and, and it's no longer um you know the, the military power that it, that it once was so which might mean that this could last longer than than um uh you know than than sort of a you know, a couple of weeks um it, it's also worth noting that um russia's got a pretty active propaganda unit um and uh pretty successful um uh, over the last few years in terms of you know um I guess it's only ever rumoured and, and you know discussion about what's going about the uh, the background and 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 speculation about what's what's happening, but uh, it does seem that their their propaganda unit has been quite successful at, at sowing discord in in places like uh, the US and a lot of and 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 Europe in terms of um, you know, dissatisfaction with governments and and um, sowing conspiracy theories and 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 all these different um, you know uh, I guess all these different issues that uh, they're trying to create for, for democracies. The, the thing that it has shown, though, um, this war is that, you know, while they might be quite um, efficient in terms of sowing discord and, and, and creating, um, you know, distrust of the state, uh, what they haven't been successful is uh, at, at you know, rallying their country behind them and, and, and actually sort of creating this, this um, you know, Russia is all together and, and also creating... Um, you know the view in, in the Ukraine that you know here Russia is coming to save you. It's not a um, uh, you know it's not an invader. It's a liberator. Whereas uh, you know I think the, the propaganda war um, they they certainly seem to have lost that on a global perspective. You know the the, the number of country, countries that have come together to to condemn them and and, and the measures that have been put on. Um, and then secondly the uh, uh, you know the, the propaganda war within the Ukraine and, and even within Russia. Um, that, that they, uh, you know, there's protests right across Russia in terms of against the war, and so uh, so they're obviously not winning um, that that propaganda side or the, or the hearts and minds of, of, of people. Uh, and the other and the one other thing as well in terms of noting that is that um, it's you know it's turned into what in say Crimea they walked in um, you know pretty much took the uh, took that that area of land. You know, within a, within a few days, and uh, then have managed to 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 keep that without a lot of uh, you know local dissent. Whereas it does seem as if um, even if they do manage to to, to take um, you know a, a large part of the Ukraine, uh, that there's going to be ongoing dissent and ongoing um, you know um, uh, military action even within those parts that they've, they've taken. So I think there's you know uh, it's. It's not going well for Russia, I guess, is the, the the summary of where where it is. I mean, although that's it, it's you know they've still got the overwhelming military strength. It's certainly not going anywhere near as well as what you know the last few have, have done. Okay, so that's the background to it. Um, then we want to say to sort of jump in and, and and look really at at uh, what the major risks are, and there are some pretty large downside risks that that we're sort of monitoring, we're trying to work out what's, um, you know where are the, where are these issues. Uh, the first is is for a financial crisis. So we've seen um, uh, Russian banks cut out of the the SWIFT system. We've seen uh, that the uh, central bank in, in uh, the Russian central bank has had its assets seized um, and or frozen. And uh, there's and, and so the plumbing, the various plumbing, various systems sort of plumbing the back end of, of financial systems around the world. Uh, are, are a lot more tightly integrated than, than people would admit, and, and, and there's stress points within them. So, you know, my take is that uh, I'm pretty sure that before these sanctions went on, that uh, the, 
the major banks uh, in Europe were, were visited and, and, and you know, these sanctions were discussed in terms of whether that would create any issues. And I do think central banks are standing sort of by the, uh, by, standing by the banks in terms of providing uh, a ready to provide liquidity, ready to provide support if, if this does start creating any issues. So I think from that perspective, um, they can still get it wrong. Like there still, still could be a bank blow up somewhere. But uh, in, the, in the first instance, I think the, the odds of a, of a financial crisis emanating from one of the, uh, one of the major banks is, is probably relatively low. Uh, the, the, the more likely case is, is we get something like the LTCM, um, which is a, 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 a very large hedge fund that sort of blew up in the, in the late 90s, uh, ironically on the back of a Russian debt default that, that wasn't expected. Um, we've seen a number of different hedge funds cause issues in recent years. Uh, we had Archegos, um, you know, only last year or possibly it might have been, yeah, yeah 2021. Um, you know, had had some problems with GameStop and and um, and losing money, and so the issue is uh, if some if there are hedge funds that are particularly leveraged to that area, and particularly leveraged to uh, to ongoing um, particularly leveraged to, to Russian assets, then one of those blowing up could create sort of a a, a financial crisis throughout the rest of the system. So again. Not a not a huge probability, um, but certainly uh, you know certainly a very real one, in terms of uh, in terms of what we're watching. Uh, other problems is you know j there, there could just be plumbing issues in terms of uh, the way uh, the way Russia's reacting, what they're doing in terms of their, their central banks, how they're trying to get money, whether they're going to be you know whether they're going to be selling assets uh, and and sort of sucking liquidity out of some areas and providing too much liquidity in, in other areas. And um, you know, and causing causing issues in that. So, to, so whenever we have these you know, relatively unprecedented events, certainly for for an economy of, of uh, Russia's size to be cut out of the financial system, and Russia's size and its level of integration with the rest of the economy, is there's always a, you know this this chance we could have um, some sort of financial crisis. Uh, so that's sort of your primary risk. Your next risk also is is, is recessionary risk. So uh, we're looking at uh, high inflation around the world. We're looking at this this big jump in in energy prices. Uh, we're looking at commodity prices. Uh, Ukraine's a big exporter, or Ukraine and and Russia as well are both big exporters of wheat. So potential for food prices to to increase. Uh, central banks are, are already at the lower limits. So there's there's not lot, not a lot they can do. They can sort of try and flood the, the market with liquidity again. But um, in the face they're they're also facing this high inflation. And, and you know resistance um, internally uh, as, as to what they should be doing. So they're sort of you know on one side they're high inflation, on the other side they want to they want to try and prevent the economy from falling back. Maybe that's enough to to tip the uh, economy into recession, especially if we keep seeing the oil price rise because that's effectively a, a tax on um, on consumers and it just leaves them less money to spend elsewhere. So um, so, yeah, so so recessionary risks, um, supply chain risks. So. Uh, we, we've, we've seen that we're obviously you know, the COVID and and um, the shutdowns and and a whole bunch of other factors really pushed global supply chains to the limit, and so and they still haven't recovered, and so they've been locked up for for well well over a year now, and um, the discussion was already that that it's going to last into the second half of the year. Uh, this whatever time the supply chain was going to take to to sort of unravel. This has just added more time to it. So, 
uh, they are, you know, both Ukraine and Russia are big, big suppliers of commodities. That's going to have that flow down effect down that supply chain of, of you can't get the commodity that you need to, to produce it. And then so the next the next level's delayed and the next level's delayed and it sort of washes down the system. So, uh, yes, yeah, so, so, so biggest, so, so more supply chain risks sort of going forward. Um, there's uh, an overall one with inflation and, and most of that is coming back to that supply chain, but also to uh, whether what's going to happen is we'll end up with embedded higher inflation expectations. So we've seen uh, a year's worth of inflation. And if that inflation had started dying off quite uh, about around now, then it's quite possible that, that, you, that you don't get that embedded inflation into people's um, negotiations about wages and, and things like that. But if there's it's another wave of inflation of uh, Russia and coming out of uh, the Ukraine, then um, potentially what happens is people's expectations for inflation get embedded at higher levels, which means then they start asking for, for, for bigger price rises. Companies start looking to uh, increase their prices more frequently, and you end up in that sort of um, upward spiral of, of inflation. So that's a, that's a very real risk coming out of this as well. Uh, can you save yourself um, using crypto? So crypto is another, you know, what's, what, what does it mean for, for cryptocurrencies? Um, so there's, there's certainly going to be more demand coming out of, out of Russia for uh, people trying to get money out of Russia because they're locked in to, to use cryptocurrencies. Uh, on the flip side, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot more, um, there's going to be a lot harsher look at regulations uh, for the crypto markets now. So, so mostly they've pushed back to say, no, they're not going to regulate uh, these assets. That's, you know, that's, that's not what crypto is about. And, and that's the question of now does it mean that the governments start cracking down more on, on crypto? And, um, and also that, you know, uh, that you know, the idea for a Russian, somebody in Russia who wants to get out of rubles, um, chances are they, they, want to, they, want, they do genuinely want to buy something with it. So, so their first step might be buying cryptocurrencies. But then the second step is converting that cryptocurrencies into um, US dollar or, or euros or, or, or yen and actually buying buying goods and services that they need. And so, uh, or goods and services to bring into Russia to, 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 to sell. So there there is sort of that two legs to crypto is that it's, it's not a, uh, it's not just sort of a buy and hold um, for a lot of Russians will actually be about, you know, need to buy crypto, but then sell it to, to, to actually get the goods. On the other side, which isn't which isn't sort of price positive for it. Um, there's a similar story for gold in terms of the the Russian central bank has some pretty pretty large reserves of gold, and so if they do um, need to start selling those, that's going to be not, that's going to be negative for for the price. But then on the flip side, uh, you know, will will we have Russian citizens looking to try and hoard gold and try and get their money into gold to um, uh, uh, in order to escape some of the some of the sanctions and 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 for safety reasons as well in terms of if there are if there is more sort of problems within Russia um, in terms of economic issues there. So, so yeah, so the, uh, gold and then the finally um, on sort of these these uh, negative risks is is this idea of what what are the retaliatory risks that we could find from um, from Russia and probably heading that is uh, is the the thought of um, cyber wars, or, or at least you know, cyber attacks on, say, uh, Western institutions, or uh, Western financial institutions, or, or they might try and target some, um, uh, particularly in, in the financial system, target areas what they, of weakness in order to uh, in order to create, create problems for the um, uh, 
for for Western countries, uh, and and they've um, you, you've also seen if, uh, some things they've been doing in terms of the uh, in, in in Russia in terms of uh, informing companies that, that not to pay uh, coupons and not to pay effectively default on debt, and so uh, you know there's a reasonable um, argument you know, you're 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 a Russian company that, that owes some interest payments, but you're locked out of the banking system, and so you can't make interest payments to your to your investors, even if you, you know, even if you, even if you genuinely wanted to. And so, um, you know, there are sort of um, that that flow-on effects could could be creating those that that comes back to that sort of financial crisis stuff we spoke at the top. So I don't know. I've, I've rambled a little bit there, Sam. I don't know if there's any any sort of questions on the. Yeah, I just I just want to make one point clear, uh, just to to our investors and our clients, uh, we don't currently hold any Russian securities, and we don't intend to hold any uh, Russian securities going forward. So just just want to let everyone uh, know our stance on that. And uh, we've also got a viewer question from MD, uh, sort of on the other side of the coin. He's he's asking how do we invest in Russia with brokers blocking trades. Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, with lots of risk. So, uh, you know, I think this is the, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you escape the sanctions that, uh, I guess Western governments are trying to put on Russia? Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure I can give any advice on there that wouldn't be, um, a danger of being, you know, any, any loopholes that are, that are, that are a danger of being closed, you know, shortly after I give it. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I'll stray into, uh, don't think I'll stray into that <laughs> advice. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but it is, it is worth noting that, you know, we do, and part of that as well is uh, we do have those ethical screens people can put on across portfolios to, to cut out any, say, any undemocratic countries or, or any countries that sort of have financial repression. So yeah, that's a sort of, as part of our ethical screens, you know, investors can, can do that explicitly, but, but yeah, no, we don't have that exposure to, um, to stocks listed in 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 Russia, for um, yeah, for these types of reasons, that, you know, the risks are, are particularly high. Um, okay, so the next question then is is uh, you know the upside side. So so we've seen markets bounce in the last uh, certainly overnight and uh, rallying off the lows. You know, basically the the um, uh, the markets fell going into the attack, and then as the attack happened, uh, we actually saw markets rally quite strongly at the end of last week. So, you know, a couple of different reasons why we saw markets bounce. Um, one is that the initial sanctions were, were certainly less than, than what many had expected. Uh, the next round of sanctions were higher. Um, but I think there's, there's, there's probably a sense of release, relief that some of the worst case scenarios um, you know, haven't appeared as, as yet. So what I mean by that is that there was the potential that, that uh, you know, NATO could have been drawn into the war in very early stages or the US drawn into the war. But you know, at the moment, that certainly that doesn't look like it's happening, and so uh, the idea that you, there's some sort of risk um, premium in the market or some sort of discount that you have to uh, make on on in terms of stock for the fact that you know maybe there is World War Three coming, and so uh, still looks like a very low probability. But um, you know, the fact that the, the war started and we didn't see the U.S. step straight in or or, or Europe step straight or NATO step step straight in, um, you know, there's probably a bit of relief within that. Once you get there, you know there's a there's a lot of programmatic traders out there, and and there's certainly been a, a huge rise in it since the um, uh, robot programmatic and and retail traders that tend to um, trade on momentum, and so what you find is that 
when markets start going up, they tend to jump in and push it a bit further. It's a bit like this pendulum. And, and then when markets are going down, they, they'll do the opposite. And so uh, we are getting a lot of volatility. And so some of this, some of the trading um, you know, need to be acknowledged that it's, it's, uh, it's either programs, quantitative programs that people have or, or retail investors sort of just basically just chasing the, um, uh, chasing the latest moves and pushing them higher. Uh, also within the way that hedging, uh, the hedging structure at the moment, and so it's, this is a lot about the, uh, a lot about gamma and and some of the um, uh, some of the more technical um, uh, sort of aspects of, of plumbing. Basically, means that the market makers, the, the people who take options trades, um, the way they're set up at the moment, uh, tends to be that they they're exacerbating market moves. So sort of five years ago. Um, you know, given the structure of the options market and the way people were trading it, what would tend to happen is the market makers would basically be offsetting. So as as people are buying, um, they're out there selling, which sort of dampens the, the market move up. And when people are out selling, um, they're in, the market makers are in buying, sort of dampening the move down. Whereas we've ended up with this market at the moment where um, it's quite often the opposite. So uh, market makers are buying when to cover positions as, as investors are buying. And that sort of pushes that market extra, you know, it, extra in that extra in the upward direction and then the same on the down on the downside so um, we have seen that uh, and it's worth noting I guess as um, uh, if, if we do see volatility start to fall back then there'll probably be more lav- leverage added into the system so there's a lot of people who um, when markets get volatile they delever so they, they take away debt um, and then when markets um, get a bit safer then they start adding more debt to it and so uh, a lot of that deleveraging has already happened if 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 and when I guess volatility starts to fall, um, you'll probably start to see uh, some of that debt sort of go back into the market. The biggest factor, though, which well, what I've been saying is what I think is the biggest factor, and I think last night's movements, um, you know, off the back of uh, the U.S. Um, central bank announcements, is that uh, that more of the market is driven by what's happening on interest rates, I think, than than what's happening in the Ukraine. Um, you know, the net effect really is that, uh, that you know, the Russia is the 11th largest economy in the world. Um, the Ukraine is the 57th largest economy in the world. The US actually isn't directly involved in this. Um, so, you know, a, at, at face value, um, there's sort of two of the, um, the two economies that aren't necessarily going to bring down the world economic growth on their own. And, and without the US being involved, um, you know, th- there would be a reasonable argument, um, ex, you know, ex the geopolitical issues that the US Central Bank, um, you know, it, it isn't really involved and, and it shouldn't really need to change uh, its expectations. Uh, so I think it's more about the, uh, yeah, it's more about, I guess, people extrapolating out and saying, okay, but, but, but we do live in the real world. There are geopolitical expectations. There are sentiment issues that, that are going to affect markets. And so, um, the central, but your central bank will need to sort of have some, um, be a little bit less likely to raise rates than, than if there was no war. Uh, and that's and that sort of flows back to this idea of reflexivity as well, which is another um, another factor within these. And and re- what I mean by reflexivity is sometimes market movements actually um, affect the real world and, and vice versa. And I think in in this case is um, uh, oh sorry. Yeah, market movements affect the real world rather than exclusively the real world only affecting markets. And so what I mean by this is when you get sort of booms in asset prices, you know, often that means that then um, people get out and spend more money. 
and which gets the real economy going again. And and then more money gets funneled into whatever asset class is booming, and that might, you know, say it's a housing boom, that then creates even more action and, and more building until the, the whole thing finally tips over and, and goes the other way. Um, and so in, in this case, though, I think the reflexivity is, is probably going to keep um, the upside to be limited. And what the reason why is because, so we're looking at this US central bank, um, you know, looking to raise rates to, to cut off inflation. If markets do rise and, and, and don't, um, you know, don't get too sort of caught up in the whole uh, the Ukraine situation and, and fall um, to any significant extent, then the US central bank is more likely to raise rates because they're looking at two threats, inflation on one side and financial stability on the other. And if, if markets are rising, then the financial stability risk is low. And so therefore they can, they can raise rates, which then sort of limits how much um, markets will rise. Whereas the flip side is if markets fall, um, then it's quite likely that, that the US central bank is more likely to hold off on rate rises or at least um, you know, do less than what they might've otherwise do, uh, done with the idea that financial stability is now a bigger threat than, than inflation. And so it's that um, reflexivity between the two that sort of will help, um, I guess, limit the upside and provide potentially a buying opportunity, you know, if, if we do see um, a bigger downside. So that's sort of one of the, yeah, that's, that's how we're looking at these, a case where we have um, a number of risks which we ran through before, which, uh, you know, relatively extreme. And then the flip side, um, not a lot of upside in, in the best cases. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, a, a reasonable chance that if we do get some market falls, um, that, US, that the central banks will become more accommodative and that'll actually mean that we're um, we're going to score some. Um, uh, there will be a buying opportunity uh, at, at at some point. So so that's one. Then uh, okay, so that's that's the uh, that's a sort of upside downside case. There, there's a number of other factors that this is sort of um, brought to light, and the, one of the bigger ones, other and other geopolitical issues. One of the bigger ones is the China and Taiwanese impact. So there's a relatively um, widespread view that China is really just biding its time and building up to, to at some stage make a, um, make a play for Taiwan. I think China's had a, a preview of what the global reaction would be if it does decide to attack Taiwan. So I do think there's a, um, uh, they will now be factoring that into their, uh, into their thoughts. China has some very, very large um, external reserves they can now see that if they attack uh, if they attack Taiwan, there's a re there's a pretty reasonable chance um, the West would go down the same pl playbook and seize those reserves, which then means you know it's very hard for um, uh, it, it, it would be very difficult economically within China. Uh, the other thing is that, that you note that you know, two countries when countries go to war and we're looking at a, at a very integrated global economy, um, if if other countries then start you know, you can see that if, if China attacked Taiwan, you might then start seeing boycotts of Chinese products. Um, you might see, uh, you know, similar types of plays in terms of embargoes on certain um, certain products that, be, that can easily be produced elsewhere, and that can have a devastating effect on the on the Chinese economy. So, I think that from a China from a Taiwan perspective, you know, the odds of a, a Chinese um, attack on Taiwan have certainly decreased. Um, substantially, given given the effects, and also given how uh, China can see how how tied down um, the the Russian military has been, it hasn't just been a walk in and 
and and everyone lays down their arms, similar to Crimea. It's it's it looks like being a much more prolonged um, uh, prolonged war. And so, you know, I think for China now, they've obviously got to see somebody else's reaction, and and so that um, I think will temper their enthusiasm for for uh, for war in 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 Taiwan in in the immediate future at least. Um, no, yeah, not to say it definitely won't happen, but but certainly I think the odds, you know, relative to, to where it was um, prior to this uh, attack have, have decreased. Uh, hey, Damien, I'll just I'll just jump in there. We've got a viewer question from Sasha. Uh, she's just asking, how does the exclusion of Russia from SWIFT affect trade and prices in the EU going forward? And will this be a contagion with unforeseen consequences? Uh, so I'll, I'll start with the second one. There's definitely a, a uh, definitely a, a possibility of contagion, and, and unforeseen circumstances are, are almost almost certainly going to happen. Um, uh, the the issue will now be uh, whether contagion is allowed to get out of control. And so, in in some cases, governments just can't and central banks just can't control it. It's too it's um, it's in an area nobody was expecting and. Nobody has a, a game plan for it, and it just uh, yeah, it pops up, and and it, and um, uh, and contagion and financial crisis ensues. I think in this case, um, there's there's it's more likely that they'll get on top of it um, in in the early stages. So uh, I think any of the banks where you're looking at uh, contagion, there, there will definitely be um, you know, huge liquidity lines from central banks given, um, you know, almost without question. Uh, for hedge funds, will be more difficult because I think there's there's one thing about saying, um, you know, here's a bank which had some exposure to to Russian um, loans or defaulting, and and so therefore we're going to bail them out to to save the the banking system and and save save the depositors. Um, I think that's it's it's obviously a lot more difficult to turn around and say, hey, here's a bunch of um, you know rich hedge fund people managing money for for billionaires and, and millionaires, um, and they've run into problems. Let's uh, let's bail them out. I think that that's that's obviously a, a bigger problem, um, and, and that's probably the most you know, likely place we could get contagion from. Uh, the, the start of the question about um, trade and prices in Europe. Look, the big one is is energy, uh, and the way it's been structured um, in terms of energy basically being the the only thing that's sort of been left out of the the exclusion uh, does sort of play into the the. Uh, it plays very well for Europe in terms of being their, their biggest danger is that that uh, Russia cuts off all the um, uh, all the energy supplies. The problem for Russia is that's the only place they can get dollars. You know the the rubles already crashed. Um, if if they decide to, it, it'll be if they decided not to provide energy to um, to Europe, then uh, it's almost they're cutting off their nose despite their face. They're gonna they're gonna end up with an even bigger financial problem themselves. And so, um, so, it's, so it's relatively well designed, which is which is good. Um, the problem, though, is prices will be higher, and um, uh, you know, which means more inflation. And and it's a type of inflation. This isn't the good type of inflation. This is a type of inflation you can't really control with interest rate rises. It's it's due to scarcity. And so, um, really, when you do start raising interest rates, which is you know what we spoke about with a, a lot of the supply chain issues, is effectively you, you're raising interest rates, which is basically smashing demand and, and preventing people from buying things uh, in order to get it down to a, a reduced level of supply. And so that's quite possibly where the way um, the way they will go. Uh, 
Uh, it is worth noting as well, and I've got the, one of the forward slides, but I'll, I'll bring it in here because it sort of fits with this question is, uh, you know, effectively Putin's put a global carbon tax on. So, you know, as, as, a, as an unintended consequence of, of, the, um, of this whole factor, you know, we've now got a, I don't know, $20, $30 um, per, per barrel of oil carbon tax on, on oil. And, um, you know, the gas price, particularly in Europe, is, is up, um, you know, has probably doubled or, or probably double or, or even triple what it, what it what might be at other times. And so that's, that's um, accelerating the, um, the, the transition to renewable energies. So, um, yeah, so that's one, one more unintended consequence. Is that anything else on the... Oh, sorry, and the other, the other one with China is um, it's worth keeping an eye on the, the China and China-Russia trade. Because uh, the, you know the Ukraine uh, and Russia are both uh, reasonable suppliers of, of steel and and iron ore. A lot of it from the Ukraine went to uh, went to China. So while that while that production is in the hands of the Ukraine, um, obviously that's still getting pushed out to to you know anyone and anyone anyone and everyone will will take that. Uh, it's the the exports once that becomes under the control of Russia. Can that exports be diverted to, um, and, and assuming that then um, there's embargoes and 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 sanctions that sort of stop the, the the steel from Russia going out to 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 say European countries, can China pick up on on um, that and effectively just you just re-divert a lot of these things around the world? You know, a bit more iron ore goes from uh, Brazil to 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 Europe, and a bit less goes from um, yeah, and, and then the you know a bit. The, the the Ukrainian iron ore that might have gone to Europe ends up just being diverted to China. You know, is that type of um, you know is that type of factor that might that that, that could easily happen? Uh, but uh, it all comes down to how much China will allow that to happen and and whether they're being pressured. Um, yeah, they went from I guess standing uh, you know, not quite by the by the side of Russia, but certainly standing very close to Russia to um, to starting to distance themselves the longer this goes on. And so um, you know that. That is one more potential um, wildcard in terms of seeing uh, you know, what the what the net effect will be on commodities. I think if if you start to start to see that relationship break down between China and Russia, um, or you see it break down more, I guess, um, then commodity prices are, are, are heading higher. Um, and and the, the the closer that relationship is between them, uh, the lower the price that we're going to see in in terms of commodities. It'll, it'll just be about commodities getting diverted to to different areas. Um, which is actually having having said all that, it is a bit harder for um, uh, gas. Russian gas is actually quite hard to divert to, to China. Um, there's uh, uh, most of the Russian gas isn't liquefied, and so it, go, it runs on pipelines. And most of the pipelines uh, they haven't got the capacity to send it all the way across to to eastern China. So they can get it into northwest of China, um, yeah, relatively easily. But the problem with that, and then they are building some some more big lines, big um, pipelines there. The problem, though, is that um, northwest China is actually where China has all of its energy resources. You know, all of its coal and and wind power and and a lot of its solar power is all out in, in that northwest. And so, um, yeah, they can they can provide it relatively easy to the parts that, that don't need the power. Um, but um, it's hard to get Russian gas across to the parts that do actually need it. Um. So that that brings us back to then uh, the Russian regime stability. So the other the other thing over the coming weeks that's that, that'll be very important to to watch really is uh, the effect on 
on, on the average Russian person because uh, interest rates sort of shot up. I think they were sort of close to 4% um, last year during the, during the crisis, and now they're 20. Um, uh, inflation is skyrocketing. Uh, the cost of imports has skyrocketed. So, uh, you know, for some, the, the average Rus Russian citizen, life has become a lot, lot harder. Um, chances of going on overseas holidays, you know, getting, you know, imports and exports and all that type of stuff has, 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 has reduced dramatically. Uh, There's sporting and sort of social exclusion. Um, it's it's going to start causing, I mean, it has already caused some significant damage, I would think, to, to Putin's um, uh, support. His, uh, it's probably not an immediate threat. But, but you know, the longer it goes on, um, you would think that in the medium term in particular, um, this could cause some issues. And it, it means that uh, whereas I think uh, Putin was probably looked upon as, as one of the leaders in the world um, with the least to worry about, I think uh, the, the, the damage that's already been done is, would, you know, would, would, would suggest that um, you know, it's in, it's in his very it's in his in his best interest to 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 get an exit to this. That's um that's sometime in the sort of next couple of months because if it starts to drag out into six months to a year and, and longer, then um quite possibly he's going to be having some um some internal issues as well. The issue is what is his graceful exit, and it's very hard to see. I think there in the early days of the war there probably was one. Um, you know that they. Obviously, got some some immediate wins, and and uh, you know they could have had some peace talks and and sort of taken, say, some of the uh, some of the eastern Ukraine and 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 sort of left it at that to come back later, um, and and still being able to pitch it as as a win. But I think the longer it goes on, um, it the, the, it's going to be much more difficult to for, for for Putin to explain this as as any type of win, and um, you know that's going to create. Um, you know, just creates issues and 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 question marks about the um, uh, about the stability in, in, of the Russian regime as well, which could then be one more sort of left field problem, which um, you know could go in any direction. And so, uh, you know, could, that could be terrible for the world. It could be could be a, could be a fantastic outcome. Um, uh, so, it's um, yeah too early to say what that you know how that could how that could manifest itself. So that's yeah, that's the the key things we'll be watching. Um, we might go, Sam, maybe to the viewer question. I've got. I want to do the investment wrap wrap up, but it might be time maybe to ask for sort of further questions. Yeah, we we do have one more viewer question. Uh, we'll just touch on. So uh, one of the viewers is asking, do you think that Bitcoin and crypto in general might be more heavily regulated uh, if there's success at circumnavigating uh, sanctions? And is it really possible to circumnavigate these sanctions? Uh, look, absolutely, it's possible to circumnavigate sanctions. It happens, you know, um, you know, uh, North Korea and and Iran and and any number of um, countries like that manage to circumvent them. Uh, but but in, it's very difficult to circumvent them in size. And the problem as well when it comes to that is uh, Russia is a very big economy, so. Um, you know, it is eleventh largest in the world. It's it's very different to a North Korea or, or even an Iran. Um, it's uh, it's possible to circumvent things at the margin, but but once once the flows become quite large, then it becomes much harder to to circumvent. So uh, yeah, this this is a um, you know if you're a, if you're a cryptocurrency true believer, 
then um, you should at least be examining those those beliefs. If you if, you know, there's there's some people who are in it saying, oh, "I'm just going to buy it and I'm going to try and run and stay ahead of the herd and do whatever I can." But if you're somebody who's like, "No, no, I'm going to buy this and hold it forever," um, you know, you want to be watching pretty co closely what's going on because uh, there is enough of a. I, I think if if there's widespread um, uh, evasion of the sanctions by Russia but using cryptocurrencies, then I think you could see um, a, a very good case for a lot of Western countries to uh, to start regulating them in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise done. So if you didn't have this war, um, you know the, the chance of having some some higher regulation was always possible, but but a lower probability. I think whatever probability you want to assign to that the higher regulation, um, it's it's gone up um, dramatically in the last uh, in the last week. So um, yeah, watch this space. Awesome, thanks for that, Damien. Um, so this is the last call for any final viewer questions uh, before we get into the viewer implications. Uh, just drop, drop them in the chat below and we can answer them after this segment. Uh, so now we have our viewer question of the week. Uh, this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comments section over the coming days. So the question this week is, will the US Fed care more about inflation or keeping stock markets high. So feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming week. Damien, uh, I'll hand it back to you for the investment implications. Yeah, so investment implications. So uh, the number one is this, this idea of this global carbon tax. And uh, within energy, um, we've spoken a few times and, and we've got some, a number of charts on our, on our website sort of showing the, uh, the difference in cost between different, um, different ways of producing energy, whether you're talking about uh, coal versus uh, solar power versus solar plus batteries. And so our, our sort of view on, um, on energy generally is if you can get solar plus batteries to a low enough price, that's our sort of killer app because that you can expand it dramatically. Um, you know, the, the problems of intermittency go away and, and you end up, um, you know, for the large part, um, solving your, 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 your issues. Now in Australia, solar plus batteries is pretty close to, to, to hitting parity with um, at, at sort of normal energy prices. You know, at, at the prices we're seeing in Europe at the moment, if those were the normal prices, then everyone will flip to um, renewable energy, you know, in Australia exceedingly quickly. In, um, if you looked at somebody like the US, um, somebody like California or Texas, that's, that's very sunny, um, they would flip you know, straight away because it's just so much, it's, it's so much cheaper. Um, some of the northern states that, that have less sunshine um, might be a little bit more line ball, but, but you know, at, at current um, energy prices, uh, renewable energy makes a ton of sense and is a, um, you know, that, that's effectively that, that global carbon tax um, is going to accelerate that, that, that force. In terms of electric vehicles and, and oil, um, it's on a similar path. So this whole idea of electrifying and 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 having um, a battery, you know, ends up being cheaper than um, uh, than using oil, is not quite true yet. So uh, under my numbers, you know, the at, at the older oil prices, we're talking somewhere. If if you're driving, um, and, and and the thought behind this is, you know, if you are spending say five thousand dollars a year on on um, filling your car up with oil um, and it would cost you say $2,000 to uh, to do the same with um, uh, run it off a battery. So you're going to save yourself $3,000 a year. 
but the battery cost is about you know somewhere between six and ten thousand dollars for the battery depending upon what you're looking for so you're talking about probably a three or four year payoff at least and for most people that's that's not enough it's not fast enough and uh the issue is the more you drive your car the the, the better that payoff is so if you're driving your car a hundred thousand kilometers a year then the payoff's already here it's, it's already cheaper to switch to um to, to use your um to use a, a battery powered vehicle uh i think at sort of the 70, 60, or so that 50 to $70 range, um, that, that is around about 60,000 to 80,000 kilometers a year, which is still a lot more than most people would do. Um, I think that, that, that really does need to drop. And, and these prices are coming down over time, but um, you would need energy, you'd need oil prices, you know, probably around 150 to $200 before it starts, be, or yeah, probably closer to $200 before it starts becoming a, a no brainer to start everyone flipping across to to um, electric cars for, for cost purposes um, but this will accelerate that trend and a lot of that a lot of the battery uh, savings actually doesn't really come in terms of um, the materials or 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 the the technology a lot of it is just um, about the the number that are being produced so if you're producing um, a thousand batteries in, in a factory you've got a certain costs if you can now produce 10,000 batteries in that same factory, you can bring your cost down dramatically. If you can turn it into a million batteries in that same in the, in the same factory, all of a sudden your your cost per battery just really starts to to, to fall away. And just that learnings that people get, and the more um, you know, just incremental changes, is a one percent improvement on on this supply line, and and a one percent improvement on on another supply line, and, and a slight re- re- reconfiguration makes them you know, 2% more effective. And, and you know, that's, those changes just happen every year and, 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 and improve the, the costs. So, so I guess what I'm saying is the carbon taxes here, um, it is genuinely affecting electricity production right now. Uh, I think electric vehicles, it's affecting at the margin, but it's not, a, it's, it's, it's not, a, not a, as much of a no-brainer, but it will certainly bring um, that, that, that period closer. And, and I think uh, just energy, just energy security, I think, on its own in Europe is going to, um, you know, even if you didn't have high prices, the fact that they've, they've, they've had the, the, the shot across the bowels in terms of saying they need, to, they need to sort out their energy security and not be reliant on, on Russia to, to provide um, so much gas for them. I think will be enough to to really accelerate that um, uh, that push to renewables. Uh, so that's, that's your first point. The second one is this idea that we've got asymmetric risks. So um, I wrote a wrote a piece recently, just sort of talking about you know, humans aren't particularly good at, at judging asymmetric risks. So on, on one side, you have a lottery risk. So basically, a very small chance of winning a hell of a lot of money, and a very large chance of basically losing whatever you you cost you you. you um, you paid to, to have that lottery ticket. Now, governments know how badly that people calculate that 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 trade-off. That they actually regulate it really heavily. In most countries, you know, lotteries are the, are the reserve of, of of the government, and you can't just go out and create a lottery on, on your own. It's very heavily regulated because because of that that maths is done very well. And on the flip side, you know, you have sort of insurance where um, you know you pay somebody a little bit of money and with a high probability of, of losing that. With a, a a low probability that you'll get a a, a windfall um, if, if something goes wrong, and so and, and insurance companies you add up you know that they're the they're the ones that effectively take those bets you know that the combined market cap of those companies is sort of well over a trillion dollars. So it's that idea that when you've got asymmetric risks, um, humans don't price them particularly well, 
And, and that's what we think is happening at the moment is that we've got these asymmetric risks, a lot of downside in a few cases. We spoke about financial crises and and um, uh, you know that the whole bunch of different range in that in that on that second slide of things that can go wrong, um, which creates sort of big downside. And then on the upside, th there is some upside, and, and potentially you could even say that's uh, um, you know you could mount a case that that's the probable outcome is 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 a small bit of upside, but I think those risks are um, uh, they're skewed, and, and it's a question about are you sort of picking uh, they call it picking pennies up in front of steamrollers at this point in time, trying to make uh, you know some small profits, um, uh, but there's a, this this large sort of you know you're picking up a a few coins off the ground, but there's a steamroller that could coming behind it that could squash you. And so, um, yeah, keeping an eye on those asymmetric risks. We're still carrying, uh, and we sort of wound back uh, late last year, we wound back our, our holdings of equities and we're sort of carrying 30% plus um, spare cash in order to looking for these buying opportunities, um, which we do think will, will come. But um, yeah, we're, we're still cognizant that the, that the risks are, are still quite high at this point. In terms of the stocks we're buying, um, there's a, there's a, argument about whether you should be buying value stocks, whether you should be buying growth stocks, whether you should be buying quality stocks. Um, traditionally, when you see rising interest rates, um, value stocks often outperform in that in that market. Uh, we don't think this is the time though. We think your value stocks, to a certain extent, have already outperformed um, from, from the energy side, but we think the risks now to the energy are, are, are as much downwards as, as they are upwards or even more downwards than upwards actually. Um, there's there's chances of shorter term energy spikes if we have shortages and and, and cutouts, but we think the, the medium term picture is that there's going to be a lot more production coming on at, at current levels and um, and a lot more switching away from from fossil fuels. Um, and, and then the other thing that often drives value stocks is that it, when interest rates are rising, is you've got this value stocks. A lot of the, the industrial type value stocks don't have very much control over their own prices, so they're basically price takers. Um, is that when we're actually talking about um, smashing demand to get it down to the level of, of supply, um, then you don't want to be a price taker in that in that scenario. You want to be somebody who who has more control over your prices and, and can put up prices and, and hold those prices. And so yeah, so we're not um, we're not really investing that much in in value stocks at the moment. Um, we're looking more for sort of quality defensives. Um, and, and what I mean by those types of stocks is we're looking for stocks that are that are um, uh, paying a paying a decent um, dividend, you've got defensive characteristics, whether it be things like supermarkets or um, or more um, uh, less discretionary goods, more more goods that people have to buy um, all the time. Uh, and then um, growth stocks. Uh, basically, what we're trying to do at the moment is we're trying to, we're looking for growth stocks, um, uh, which growth stocks to buy and, and when. So uh, we've sort of got a shopping list of, of the growth stocks we like. And whenever you get these events and you get a lot of volatilities, um, what get a lot of volatility, what we'll see is a lot of good good stocks will often get sold down, particularly at the start of um, crises when when you're seeing markets fall, is people sell whatever's liquid. And so we've got our sort of shopping list, and we're we're sort of going through those, and we've got levels where we'd, we'd like to buy the stocks, and and if the stocks fall to those levels, then we'll be switching into those and you know picking up those those growth stocks, um, at you know, quality growth stocks. Uh, at at the um, at, at lower prices, and so um, yeah, so so I guess the the net message out of that is that um, you know Russia, the Russia Ukraine war is certainly important, 
but um, but don't sort of lose track of the fact that there's there's actually much larger forces at play in terms of investment. We, we are in in you know the net effect is it's it is the 11th largest economy attacking the 57th largest economy. Um, there there is so much more of the the world out there, and and so um, it's it's more of an issue of looking. I mean, central banks are still the, the key play. Is will they make? Will we see policy error? Will will central banks um, uh, keep supporting markets? Or are they going to switch and, and focus on 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 squashing inflation, and that's your um, you know that's your real key key risk going forward. Thanks for that uh, summary there, Damien. We've got we've had a couple of questions come through in regards to the the fall in ruble and uh, Russia's energy um, energy export. So we've got one from here from Sasha. Uh, she's just asking: Does the spot pricing of gas in Europe? Simply, simply neutralize the pain of a low Russian ruble on Russian energy export. Um, oh, for, for energy, if Russian energy exporters, they're 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 rolling in it like they're because the low low ruble all of a sudden means they're getting more rubles for every um, you know for every euro, and so uh, and then high prices. Um, you know, they're the the Russian energy sector is is creaming it at the moment in terms of profits. The problem they've got is um, uh, the rest of the economy isn't. The rest of the economy is suffering. They're, they're, they can't get the goods, um, you know. And, and uh, there's things like you know, Boeing, for example, is not supplying parts to, to Russian aircraft anymore. And so there's sectors where they're like, well, are we get that? They're going to have to recreate some of those some of those sectors. Um, you know that, that and that's the, that's the danger is that uh, uh, and 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 the way Europe's designed it so that. Uh, it's very hard for for Russia to cut off um, their their energy supplies to Europe because that's the only place they're making money. Uh, they, they're sort of not making money from these any other sources. Awesome. Uh, thanks for that, Damien. So that almost wraps us up. Uh, Damien, just want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and your insights as always. Thanks, Sam. Uh, so we do welcome your feedback on the show, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the YouTube comments below or send us an email at contact at newkillswealth.com. Just a reminder, this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do, uh, if you do want to discuss your personal finances, please go to our website at newkillswealth.com and book a call with me or one of the team. Uh, so for those of you that want some more information about the portfolios that Newkills Wealth offers, a great page to visit is our portfolios page at nucleuswealth.com forward slash portfolios. You can view our tactical core and passive portfolios. You can see the returns, the fees, and lots of information on how the portfolios are constructed and managed. So you can see the tactical portfolio uh, portfolios there. Also got the core share portfolios. So you can see core international core in Australia. You can also see the performance data there too. And then we've also got our passive portfolios there as well. So don't forget to like the video now. And finally, if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd appreciate it if you can please share it with them. Also, if you'd like to see more of our previous content and episodes, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. And to stay up to date with news from us, you can also follow us on all major social media. For myself, Damien, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.